You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. So I'm not a big fan of social media. Just this year, I got my first Instagram account. Uh, but nowadays, it's almost impossible to um, live without social media, right? If I wanted to connect with my youth students, uh, I, I, the only way I can connect with them is really through social media. Uh, so um, I got my account. And normally, when you get a social media account, the first thing that you do is you upload a photo, a profile picture. Um, now, some people, they use encouraging words. Some people, they put food, their favorite food. Some people, they have a picture of their pet. Uh, but most people, they use a recent photo of themselves, right? Um, in a good angle with a lot of lighting, a good photo of themselves. Now, I want you to use your imagination. If Jesus had a Facebook account or if Jesus had an Instagram account, what image would he use as his profile photo? What kind of image comes to your mind when you hear the name of Jesus? Now, for some of us, we think about baby Jesus, especially in this season, right? Uh, this holiday season, everywhere we go, we see baby Jesus in a manger. Um, baby Jesus, just sleeping in peace. For some of us, we think about hippie Jesus. Jesus who is good looking, he has this long hair, um, he's rocking the beard, and uh, he's walking around in sandals, right? He's this kind of free-spirited guy. You know, he is just super nice, super calm, just this teacher who's super laid back, and he seems to have all the answers to your questions. Hippie Jesus that ever, everyone loves. And then you have Jesus on the cross. You know, after that movie came out, the movie Passion of the Christ, um, a lot of people, when they think about Jesus, they think about Jesus on Calvary, right? That image is hard to get out of your head. Weak, beaten, defeated, covered in blood, you know, helplessly hanging on a cross for the sins of the world. And there's nothing wrong with these images, by the way. All of these images are very biblical. All of these images are very accurate. They are very true. But there's only one slight problem with these images. These images are extremely outdated. Jesus is not a baby. Jesus is not a hippie. And he's definitely not on the cross right now. That is who he was. But that's not who he is right now. It's not, that is not what we're going to see when he returns. So in today's passage, we get a glimpse of who Jesus will be when he returns. In today's passage, John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, he sees the door of heaven open up. And he sees this image, this powerful image of a warrior riding on a white horse. And as we walk through the text, we are going to find out that this rider on the white horse is none other than Jesus, our Messiah, our Savior. So the main idea of today's passage is this. It's quite simple. Jesus is our warrior Messiah. Jesus is our warrior Messiah. When he returns, he's not coming as a baby. He's not coming as a teacher or a servant he is coming as the warrior Messiah. 
from verse 11 through 16, we get a long list of descriptions that paints a powerful portrait of Jesus as the warrior Messiah. First, we see that this warrior is riding on a white horse. Now, he's not riding on a donkey like he did the first time. He's not riding on a small pony. This guy is riding on a white war horse, which represents victory and purity. Verse 11, he is called faithful and true. And immediately, that gives away the identity of this, this rider. Because in Revelation 1.5, Jesus is called the faithful witness. In Revelation 3.14, he is called the faithful and true witness. The word faithful and the word true is something that goes with Jesus. Jesus, by nature, is faithful and he is true. He is faithful, meaning he is completely reliable and he is completely dependable. And he is true, meaning he's exactly who he says he is. Jesus is not fake. No, Jesus is not a scam. He is the real deal. Now, I don't know about you, but when I go to vote, especially on election day, I have such a hard time, you know, choosing who to vote for. And it's not because I don't have enough information about each candidate. It's because I don't know which one to trust. Now, everyone looks good on paper. Everyone seems to have great plans for the future, right? They all sound great. Uh, they, everyone says that they're going to make America great. But at the end of the day, I don't know who I can trust. Well, that is not the case with Jesus, because you can trust his word, you can trust his character, you can trust what he says, because he is the real deal, because by nature, he is faithful, and by nature, he is true. true. There is nothing false about Jesus. And in verse 11, we see that he is the commander-in-chief that declares war, but this war that is being declared is not being declared out of pride. It's not being declared out of greed, but it's being declared out of righteousness. The war that Jesus declares is just. It is right. And when 9-11 um, took place, America went to war because uh, the commander-in-chief at that time, President Bush, he declared war against terrorism. Now, till this day, there's a lot of debate whether or not that was the right decision because we lost a lot of soldiers right, um, fighting that war. There's a lot of questions about that decision. But when Jesus declares war, no one is going to question his decision. His judgment is always right. And here's why. Because in verse 12, it says, his eyes are like a flame of fire. So Jesus has his laser-like eyes. He has x-ray vision, basically which he can see everything, and because he sees everything, he knows everything. Now, Jesus knows everything about us. He knows every little detail um, about you and me. Every good thing that we have done, every bad thing that we have done, it's not Santa that knows whether you're naughty or nice. It is Jesus who knows it all. Now, there's not a single thing that we can hide from him. He has these laser-like eyes. His eyes are flame of fire, which is why his judgment is always, always right. Because unlike other judges that need video evidence, unlike other judges that need witnesses to, so that they can make a decision, Jesus doesn't need those stuff because he knows it all. Jesus sees it, sees it all. He knows it all. Therefore, he can judge everything in the right way. There is no room for error in his judgment. So not only does he have the ability to uh, make the right judgment, but we also see that he has the power and the position to make the right decision. 
Continuing in verse 12, it says, And on his head are many diadems, meaning there are many crowns, symbols of royal power and authority. Now, the word, word diadem is quite interesting because it, we only see it three times in the Bible, all in the book of Revelation. The first time we've seen it last week where the great red dragon was wearing seven diadems, seven crowns. In Revelation 13, there's this beast, the second member of the unholy trinity, um, who has ten diadems, right? Both the red dragon, the beast, they act as if they have power and authority in this world. But according to verse 12, there's only one king that has absolute authority over everything. There's only one king that reigns over all, and it's Jesus, the warrior, Messiah. He doesn't just have seven diadems. He doesn't just have ten diadems. The text says that he has many diadems, too many to count. Jesus is not just all-knowing, but he's all-powerful. And we see that he has a name written that no one knows but himself. Now, this might seem odd to us, right? Why would you have a name that no one knows? And what's the point of that? Well, in the ancient world, to know someone's name meant you had dominion over a certain person. That's why when um, God created Adam back in the garden, God gives dominion and authority um, to Adam over all creation. And what does Adam do? He names every little creature. You know, the process of naming is a process of authority. That's why you never see people naming God. God is always the one who's changing names because he is in power. He has authority. So the fact that Jesus has a name that no one knows means that no one has authority over Jesus. No one rules over Jesus. And this makes perfect sense because in Philippians chapter 2, we see that when Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead, God exalted Jesus to the highest place and he gave him a new name. A name above all names. And that name, no one knows. No, Jesus is given a name that no one can touch. He is exalted to a position that no one can challenge. Jesus, not only does he have all the right abilities to make the right decisions, but he is in position and he has power to judge all things. He sees it all. He knows it all. He has power. He has position over everything. Therefore, when he returns, he's going to bring the right judgment. And that judgment, by the way, is not going to look pretty. Because in verse 13, it says, He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Now, this is not Jesus' own blood. This is not the blood that he has spilled on the cross for the saints or the people um, of this world. This is actually an allusion to Isaiah 63, where the prophet Isaiah, he sees this vision, a man walking with splendid clothes, and he's marching in greatness, and he's saying, it is I speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. So clearly, the, the sky that Isaiah sees is the Messiah, the promised one who was supposed to deliver God's people. But when Isaiah looks carefully at this Messiah, he sees that there's something odd about his garment, that there's something red on the bottom of his garment. So Isaiah asks the question, you know, what's that red stuff on your clothes? You know, is that wine stain? And the Messiah answers, well, that's not Weinstein, it's the blood of my enemies. No, Jesus will bring right judgment, but that judgment, judgment is not going to be pretty. We see that Jesus, his garment is, is, is 
has this color red, which symbolizes the blood of his enemy. So in verse 13, we are reminded that Jesus is the word of God. So the Bible begins with the word. Everything was created through the word, right? And we see in John 1, this word becomes flesh. And finally, in Revelation 19, this word comes to judge the entire world. Verse 15, it says, From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. So another Old Testament allusion. By the way, if you want to really read the book of Revelation, you don't need secret knowledge. You don't need some sort of kind of trick to, to read the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation actually is, is like a coded document. You have to understand that um, this was written in a time where Christians were persecuted by the Roman Empire. Right? If they had faith, they were persecuted. Therefore, in order to kind of encourage the Christians in a secret way, John writes these visions in a very strategic way where almost everything is connecting to the Old Testament. So it doesn't make any sense for the Romans, but for the Christians, it makes complete sense. So again, we see an allusion from Isaiah 11.4 where it talks about the Messiah that is to come and that he would strike the earth with a rod of his mouth and kill the wicked with the breath of his lips. With one word, Jesus is able to rule and judge the nations. And we finally see the middle of verse 15, that he will rule them with the rod of iron, which is, again, an allusion to Psalm 2 of this coming Messiah that will rule over the nations. He will tread the winepress of fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Again, going back to Isaiah 63. When Jesus comes as the Messiah, this garment that he's wearing is going to be stained in red because He stomps over his enemies, exercising judgment, just like a man will stomp over grapes in a wine press. Jesus returns with a bang. Now, when Jesus returns, he will rule and he will reign. He's going to judge all things and he's going to make things right. And the reason that he can do all these things is because we see in verse 16 that his name is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is the warrior Messiah. In verse 14, we see that there's an army following Jesus. Now, just like their commander-in-chief, this army, this heavenly army, is clothed in fine linen, white and pure, and they're riding on a white horse. It looks a lot like Jesus, right? Now, we don't know exactly uh, what this army is all about. We can kind of guess. Some people say that this is simply an army of angels. I think it's more than that. In Revelation 17, verse 14, John talks about how those who follow the beast will make war against the lamb. And it says that the lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. So the people who are with the lamb are called chosen and faithful. So whenever you see the word chosen, it is talking about the people of God. Not only do we see this promise, but we also see right before this passage that when Jesus, he comes back, and he comes back for the, his bride, the bride of the lamb, is dressed up in white, pure uh, clothing in Revelation 19.8. So who is this bride of the lamb? It's the people of God. And when Jesus returns, he's going to be followed by a group of believers who are dressed just like him, who look just like him, who are very much Christ-like. But if you look closely, there's one difference between Jesus and his army. Jesus, he has blood on his robe. But the army, they are clean, 
nothing is on, on their garments. Why? Because Jesus is the only one fighting in this battle. No, Jesus, he's the one who goes before us. He's the one who leads us in battle. And he's the one who fights in the very front so that the believers just have to stand in the back. And they have to see what's going on with Jesus. So in the first half of today's passage, we see this powerful image of Jesus. Now, Jesus is the warrior Messiah. That's who he is. And in the remaining chapter, we see what Jesus will do as the warrior Messiah. Now, in verse 17, we see an angel standing in the sun. And he's calling all the birds that are roaming in the heavens, right? And look at what the angel says. He says, Come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. You know, what is this picture? What is this disturbing picture? You know, with this change in nerve, you get a sense that something is about to happen. And sure enough, in verse 19, it talks about how the beasts, the kings of this world, they get together, um, they collect an army, and they make war against Jesus and those who follow him. This war is the long-awaited battle of, um, that, that was talked about throughout the book of Revelation. It is the final battle. By the way, it's, this is the battle between good and evil. This is a battle between the forces of darkness and the forces of light. The entire book of Revelation really builds up to this one single battle. It's called the Armageddon. But the passage ends in a very strange way. You might expect, you know, I don't know, stars to be thrown at one another, you know, fire to come out uh, from each side. But we actually don't get a battle. No, we get an ending that is anticlimactic. Instead of a massive war between good and evil, simply says in verse 20, the beast and the false prophet who deceived the people to worship the beast were captured. And they were thrown alive into the lake of fire. And in verse 21, it says, And the rest of them, the rest, of, the rest who followed the beast and the false prophet, they were killed. So they were defeated, they were thrown down, and they were killed. That's anticlimactic, right? Uh, they basically got whooped. Uh, there is no battle. There is no contest. Instead, it's just a one-way beatdown. The beast, the false prophet, the army, they are completely defeated and destroyed by the warrior Messiah. Jesus, you know, I guess it's kind of disappointing for us. If Hollywood made, this, uh, made a movie out of this, man, I don't think it would sell uh, that, that good because it doesn't have a big bang at the end, you know. But this is good news for us because as far as for us, we don't fight because Jesus, he has already won the battle. So Jesus is our warrior Messiah. He sees all things. He knows all things. Therefore, he can judge all things in the right way, and he will make things right. Not only does he have the ability to judge all things, but he has authority because he has a position, and he has power over all things. He is supreme over everything. When he judges all things, I mean, it's going to be right, but it's not going to be pretty. The forces of evil, the kings, the rulers, the mighty man, the free, the slave, the small, the great, that angel was not trash-talking. That's a reality that is going to take place. You know, anyone who opposes God will be judged on that day, and they're going to be eaten by birds. So how is this relevant to us? This just sounds like a fairy tale, right? You know, I don't really understand why God is revealing this to us. 
Well, if you know the end of something, it changes everything. If I knew that Apple or Amazon were, were going to turn out to be this successful you know, 20 years ago, I would have invested everything that I had in this, to buy their stocks. Right? I would have been a millionaire by now if I did so. You know, about two years ago, I got into a big car accident. You know, it was on a good Friday after a morning prayer. I was driving back to school after attending a morning prayer service uh, at church. And I was passing by an intersection. It was early in the morning. So uh, there's a car coming from the other side. Um, and I guess it, that car missed a traffic, the traffic signal. So uh, we basically had a head-on collision. And that was kind of the worst uh, car crash that I was in. And after that day, I always thought, you know, things would have been different if I just knew that I would be in this car crash. Now, I would have done so many things differently. Maybe I would have skipped morning prayer. <laughs> Maybe I would drive a little bit. No, I wouldn't have skipped morning prayer. <laughs> Maybe I would have drive a little bit slower. Maybe I, I could have been a little bit more careful when I was driving. No, if you know what's going to happen in the future, that changes everything. That changes what you do in the present. No, the book of Revelation, it's a great promise to us. Especially Revelation 19, that's the end. Now, if you have a Bible, I want to flip quickly to Psalm 2. And this is going to be the last thing that we discuss. Because Psalm 2 is a direct prophecy on Revelation 19. It speaks directly on this situation. So Psalm 2 talks about the nations standing against the Lord, the anointed, the Messiah. The kings and the rulers, they get together to create this battle against God on high. You know, that's exactly what we see in Revelation 19. But look at verse 4 in Psalm 2, verse 4. It says, He who sits in the heavens laugh. So when God is, God is seeing all this going on down there, right, the evil forces getting together, the kings, the rulers of the nations, they're getting together. They're basically trying to, you know, bring down God. And God just sits on his throne. He's like laughing. Man, what are you guys doing? Right? And then we see that he gives a promise. You know, he says that I'm going to send my son, and he's going to be this king, and the nations will be his inheritance. And it says that the nations will be his possessions, and he will break them with the rod of iron. That phrase we see in Revelation 19. Revelation 19 is the fulfillment of Psalm 2. Now, why do I mention all this? Because I think the application of Revelation 19 is actually found in Psalm 2. Look at what it says in verse 10. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. If Revelation 19 is true, then it will be extremely foolish to hold on to this world. It will be extremely foolish to fall in love with things of this world. It will be extremely foolish to be afraid of the things of this world. It will be extremely foolish not to honor God in every, every area of our lives. Now, God, he is just. One day he will make things right. You know, God has just revealed the end of, 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 of the story. 
that Jesus is going to come as this warrior Messiah. And knowing this, there's only two things that we can do. We have to serve the Lord with fear, and we have to rejoice in the fact that Jesus is returning. Now, our future, it really depends on Jesus. We are always at the mercy of Jesus, if you think about it, because the reason why the believers are dressed up like Jesus, that they're following Jesus, is because Jesus died on the cross. That he gave them a new garment, that he took away their dirty garment, and he gave his garment of righteousness. No, the reason why the believers are able to continue to follow Jesus is because the Holy Spirit leads them and allows them to become more like Christ every single day. The reason why the believers are victorious is because of Jesus. Because in Revelation 19, Jesus is the one who is fighting. We are not the ones who are fighting. We are not helping Jesus, by the way. Jesus is helping us, and he is saving us. So what are we supposed to do today? We are supposed to respond to Jesus. That we have to update our picture of Jesus Jesus is not just this weak king. He's not just this humble servant. That's who he he was. But Jesus, right now, he reigns on the right uh, hand of the Father. And one day, he'll return. And at that moment, every knee will bow down to him. And there's only going to be two sides, people who are behind him and people who are before him. And where will you stand on that day? If you are not following Jesus right now, I don't know if you'll be following Jesus when he returns, right? A lot of people say, hopefully, you know, one day, you know, when Jesus returns, I'll be behind Jesus, right? You know, the best way that you can know, you can, you know, know for sure that you will be following Jesus um, in the future is if you follow Jesus at this very moment. What are some things that you are investing in? You know, in the book of Revelation, so many people are persuaded by the beast. They worship the beast. They are persuaded by the false prophet. No, they are persecuted by the red dragon. All these different enemies rise up to destroy the people of God. But you know what the good news is? Jesus, he returns. And when he returns, it's a complete game changer. Everything is changed. Now, I don't know much about the book of Revelation. But one thing I know is that the book of Revelation is about Jesus Christ. Book of Revelation, verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. This is the revelation of Jesus the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Jesus is revealed for us. And you know, the very first promise that is given in that book is in verse 7 of chapter 1, Behold, I am coming. And then it talks about all these different stuff, how the churches are messed up, the churches are not doing their job. And then it talks about all these different signs, these different judgments that are going to be poured out in this world. It talks about how horrible life is going to be. It talks about all these different figures that rise up and to oppose God. But you know what's good about the book of Revelation? At the very end, Jesus, he wins. That he is victorious. That he comes and he makes everything right. That he makes everything new. That there is hope in Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation ends with three promises. And each promise, it reminds us that Jesus is coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. I am coming. Are you worshiping Jesus, understanding that he is worth the wait, understanding that he is worth worshiping? Don't worship Jesus the baby. Worship Jesus the king. Let's play. Now, I don't know about you, but if you just read the news or look around in this world, it's pretty discouraging. People have followed Jesus for many, many years now, more than 2,000 years, and yet we continue to see evil growing, world seems like a darker place. 
Seems like the dragon, the beast, the false prophet are they're all having their way. The Christians that initially received this letter, the book of Revelation, were Christians who were persecuted by the Roman Empire. At that time, at that moment, the temple of God was destroyed. They had no hope. And they were wondering in their heads, is it worth it? Is it worth following Jesus? Is it worth the sacrifice? No, this is so inconvenient. All I have to do really to have an easy life is just submit to Caesar. Just submit to the Roman Empire. They were tempted to compromise their faith and follow other things for comfort. But John reveals this vision to the people, reminding them that the battle is not over. That although evil seems to be triumphing in this world, that Jesus will one day return as the warrior Messiah and he's going to change everything. So make sure you're on the right side. The only way that you can be on the right side is if you trust him, if you believe in him, and if you follow him from this very moment. Let's pray.